No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. All right, today we are doing church in the park. Unfortunately, there's no people here where I am, uh, or fortunately, you might say. Um, but I look forward to the time when we can meet again together where we can have church in the park here at Pinewoods Park uh, together and worship under God's creation. So over the last couple weeks, I've had this kind of disconnect as I've watched, you know, movies or TV shows. And the reason I've had this disconnect is that nearly every movie that you watch, every TV show that you watch, features people who are either in businesses, in a movie theater, at a mall, at a restaurant, at a conference center, and I look at those images and it's almost like I'm watching a different world. And I look at those images and I almost feel like there's this kind of naivety where I like kind of want to warn them like, don't you know that there's a pandemic that's coming? And I think part of the reason it's so jarring is because of the fact that as a country, this is not something that we know how to deal with and it's not something that we're familiar with you know I think back on the lives of our my elders the elders of my life my grandparents and you know I think about even them and they've never really experienced anything like this the closest thing we go back is maybe the Spanish flu which happened in 1918 but even the people the few people who are alive today who were alive during that were so young that they never really could fully comprehend what it looked like during that time frame. 
Sometimes people compare it to World War II or Pearl Harbor, uh, in Pearl Harbor or 9-11. But even those comparisons are not that accurate. We really don't have a frame of reference to know what we're dealing with. Elena Newman, who researches trauma and disaster mental health at the University of Tulsa, said she has to consult literature on various different topics to kind of get a grasp on dealing with this crisis. She's had to research how humans cope with quarantine, mass disasters, and ongoing stressors. And as she's looked through the literature, there's literature about each one of those topics, but there's no literature that puts them all together. Quarantine, mass disasters, and ongoing stressors. So really, as a country, at least in the last hundred years, this is not something that we have a frame of reference to deal with. Even 9-11 or Pearl Harbor are, is, are, are different in the sense that in, for those events, people came together. People were flocking to churches, flocking to community, but this pandemic separates us, so it's a little bit different. Despite our best efforts to stay in touch with one another, I think there's still this profound sense of loneliness and separation from one another. There's really no way to get around to that. And thankfully, this is a temporary stage. We'll eventually be able to come back and meet with one another once again. But before this pandemic started, well before this started, anxiety levels were going to to a very high level, maybe an all-time high. And I can't imagine what the effects of this pandemic will be upon the mental health of our country. You know, we talk about a lot of times about our physical health, about the economic health, but the mental health of us as a country is in grave danger due to the isolation that we've experienced and the fact that we're dealing with uncertainty. And before we go any further, I want to kind of highlight the difference between fear and difference between fear and anxiety. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders defines the difference between fear and anxiety this way. It says, fear is the emotional response to a real or perceived imminent threat, whereas anxiety is an anticipation of a future threat. So in the last several weeks, we've talked a lot about fear and how to deal with the fear of this COVID-19 virus that is a real thing, that is serious. But today I want to specifically talk more about anxiety and deal kind of with the what-ifs in life. Those questions we ask ourselves. What if my family gets sick? What if I lose my job? What if I'm not able to provide for myself? What if the stock market collapses? And so I'd like to talk about how we deal with those what-if questions in our life. In the times like this, anxiety flourishes in times of uncertainty. And in a sense, it's the most natural response. But just because that's the default response that we go to doesn't mean it's necessarily the most helpful response or the way that God would have us to live. Now, if you go on the Internet, you can see a number of different uh, resources that psychologists offer for how to deal with anxiety. There's practical things that you can do, like taking a walk outside, uh, maybe calling up a friend, talking to a friend, maybe choosing only to look at the news one time a day and 
not going on social media all the time or on news websites. There's a lot of practical things that we can do. We're not going to talk about those things today. We're going to talk about spiritually how can we be prepared and how can we have this spiritual armor to fight back against anxiety. Because God doesn't want us to live in a place of anxiety or fear. And today I'd like to talk to you about some spiritual tools that we have to combat anxiety. Specifically, I'd like to talk to you about three irrefutable irrefutable truths that God gives us in his word in Matthew chapter 6 today. And from those three irrefutable uh, truths, we have one choice that we have to make and one response that we have to make from those choices. Before I go any further, I just want to be candid and say I'm not speaking as one who has it all together or has it all figured out. Anxiety is specifically something that I have struggled with over the years. And so I'm not in a place of just saying, hey, just believe the Bible and everything's going to be okay and you'll never fear or have anxiety again. So I'm coming from that place of uh, of acknowledging that it's something that I have struggled with, but I believe that God gives us tools to deal with anxiety. And I believe that anxiety is not a place that God would have us dwell in. We don't have to live there as believers in Jesus Christ. So there's three truths that this passage gives us. The first truth that it gives us is that we cannot serve two masters. Verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, in this context, Jesus is talking about money, but the principle applies to many different situations. We cannot serve two masters if we hope to be free from anxiety. There's no easier way to be filled with anxiety than to try to serve two masters. For example, let's say that money is your idol, and you want to serve that idol of money, but you also want to serve God as well. And you do everything that you can to accrue the most money that you can and you kind of feel guilty about it because you know that you don't give money to the poor, you know you don't use your resources for God's kingdom. And so you kind of feel guilty about that. But then when you do give, when you tithe or you share with someone who's in need, then you feel this, it's almost like someone's ripping your heart right from your soul because you feel like, God is taking something from you and and you feel like you've really lost something and you're so you're in this kind of catch-22 where you want to get as much money as you can and you don't want to give it away and then when you do give it away you feel this anxiety that you're losing something it's because you're trying to serve two masters or let's say your idol is sex and you're given to engaging in sexual relations outside of marriage And if you don't do that, maybe you feel this overwhelming desire to do so. But then if you do do so, then you feel this guilt and anxiety that you failed God. And so you're in this catch-22 where you're trying to serve two masters and you're not happy either way. Or maybe that idol is control where sometimes you give that control of your life to God and sometimes you're trying to run your life your own way. And so you're filled with anxiety as you're waffling back and forth between trusting in yourself and trusting in God. If we're trying to serve two masters, there's no way that we can be free from anxiety. Imagine that you go to work, and even that's something that might be hard for some of us to imagine at this point, but 
Imagine that you go to work and you have two bosses. Now, I'm not talking about maybe having a supervisor and a manager over that supervisor. I'm talking about two separate bosses. Let's say you work at Walmart and one of your bosses works in the bakery department and one of the bosses works in the garden department, the manager of the garden department. And you have a radio that you carry around and you get this call from your bakery manager and says, hey, we got a lot of people here. We need some more cookies. I need you to come to the bakery and I need you to bake some cookies as soon as possible. And you start walking to the bakery. And then while you're walking there, you get another call from your manager from the garden center. And he's like, hey, we've got people lined up here. I need people to load up the mulch. Get here as soon as possible. In that moment, you have to make a choice. Who are you going to serve? Which boss are you going to obey? Now, it wouldn't make sense to try to obey both. You couldn't go to the bakery and start baking the cookies and then just leave the cookie batter in the bowl and then run to the garden center. Likewise, you couldn't go to the garden center, load up half the mulch, and then run to the bakery. You have to choose which master you're going to, to serve. And the same is true with our relationship with God. We have to choose who we're going to serve. Are we going to serve God or are we going to serve some other idol? Because if we're trying to do both, we're going to be filled with anxiety. We're going to be filled with with fear because we can't please both God and some other idol. See, sometimes God will take us through times in our life where he chooses to, to allow us to go through a time of want. Maybe financially we'll struggle sometimes. Maybe we'll go through times where we struggle physically. Maybe we'll go through times of loss. And if we put our focus, if those things, that those objects, whether it was money or our family or a career, if those things are our idols, when we walk through the, that valley of the shadow of death, we won't have any hope. All we'll have is anxiety because we're not focused on our relationship with God. But when we're focused on God and trust in Him, those things are difficult. Losing your job, losing a loved one, experience difficulty, they're not something anyone likes to deal with, but we can get through them because we know that God wouldn't allow anything to happen to us if it wasn't for our good and for His glory. So we can trust in Him. If we don't trust that He knows best, then our lives will be filled with anxiety. Remember the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks him, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And basically the man concludes and says that he's kept all of the law since the time he was young. And Jesus responds to him, he says, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Now this man's idol was his wealth. Jesus wasn't calling everyone to give all that they had and give it to the, sell all that they had and give it to the poor. But this man, he had to do that to release the stranglehold of money that was on his heart. And it says in the text that this man left and he went away sad. In verse 22 it says, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He had his idol, he had money, he had resources, and yet still that wasn't enough. Still, he was disheartened, still probably filled with anxiety because he wanted to follow after Jesus, but he also wanted to follow after his own desires. He was trying to follow after money as a God and follow after Jesus as a God as well, and it didn't work. It never does. 
there's a old story. Helmut Filicky tells a story about a young child who his hand is stuck inside of this big expensive vase. Really expensive, really beautiful vase. And he's crying frantically. And his parents come to him and they do everything that they can to get this vase off of his hand. And no matter what they try, it's still stuck in there and he's still screaming and going crazy because his hand is stuck. Finally, they get to the point where they realize they're going to have to just break the vase. So they break this beautiful, expensive vase. And then they see all the shards on the table and they look and they see that the boy's hand is clenched. And it turns out that this boy had reached into that vase for a little tiny insignificant penny. And he was holding on to that penny and because of that he wasn't able to get out of the vase. If only he had released the penny, he would be free. I believe the same thing is true for us as believers in Jesus. If only we would release those things in our life we're holding on to, then we could be free of anxiety. We can be free from fear because we know that God has it all under control. So we, that's the first truth. We cannot serve two masters. Second, we cannot change the outcome. Verse 27 says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? See, despite our best efforts, despite all the resources that we have, we can't even add one insignificant amount of time, one hour, to our lives. It's futile. It's futile to worry. And this is important because for those of us who are chronic warriors, and even for any of us in, in times like this, maybe we feel in the depths of our heart like anxiety or worry is productive. And we feel like if we don't worry, if we're not anxious, then something bad and terrible is going to happen. But here's the problem with that. The problem is... Many of the things, most of the things that we worry about will never happen. And those things that maybe if we were going to worry that we should be worried about, sometimes we don't even think about those things. See, researcher Lucas Lafreniere did a study of chronic worriers. And in the study, participants were asked to record their worries and to, talk, to write down how they caused them distress and to write down those things each night at 10 p.m. And then after 20 days after that period, they reviewed each entry and they were to report how many of those things came true. And after reporting, after viewing those things, they found that 91.8% of the things that they worried about never came true. So most of the things that we worry about don't come true. But further, Worry is not really that effective in keeping us from bad things, from preventing bad things from happening to us. I mean, the initial fear impulse or the initial impulse to prepare for the future, I believe that's something that's God-given. But that's not something that where we're supposed to live. I mean, think of it this way. Think about, say, you're standing on a train track and you see a train in the distance coming at 80 miles an hour towards you. Now in that moment you should feel a little feel a little bit of fear 
you should feel a little bit of anxiety that if you don't do something, that train is going to run you over. That's a natural, normal response, healthy response. And so what is that meant to do? It's meant to cause you to get off the track. And so you jump off the track, walk away, train comes by, there's no danger. End of story. But it wouldn't be helpful if after that event you went home and you kind of ran through all the possible scenarios of things that could happen with a train. You could think, well, what if I was tied up on that train and I couldn't on that train track and I couldn't get up? What if I was on the train track and my foot got stuck in one of the rails and, and then I tried to get off and I couldn't get off? And what if this happens again? Or, or what if I jump off and then the train pops off the rails and comes at me? I mean, when we get to that point, those what ifs, it's not helpful anymore. It's only the initial impulse that causes us to prepare that could be helpful. The what ifs, the anxiety is not helpful. Fear is meant to cause us to act, but when we live lives of anxiety, when we continue in that fear, it often causes us to freeze up rather than to act. And what it often causes us to do is it causes us to focus on some things at the expense of other things. And so we can be anxious about certain things in our life and maybe we neglect other things that are important. Maybe we neglect loving our families. Maybe we neglect providing for ourselves because that fear emotion goes into overdrive and it causes us to be paralyzed and it can even harm us physically. Mark Leary, professor of psychology and neuroscience at Duke University says this, if we're worried about only about things that were actually going to occur and if worrying always helped us to deal more effectively with future problems, our ability to look ahead would be an unmitigated blessing. But most worry is unnecessary. Most of the things that we worry about never actually happen, and when they do, the events are rarely as bad as we imagined. And when our fears come true, worrying in advance rarely helps us cope with them. So Leary says, most of the time, the things that we think are going to happen don't happen. They're not as bad as we think that they are, and even if they are, oftentimes that worry doesn't help us in that situation. So Jesus knew what he was doing when he told us not to be anxious. Of course, that's easier said than done. But that's what God would call us to do. And again, that doesn't mean that we don't take proper precautions. Doesn't mean that we don't that we be silly or foolish. But it means that we trust in God. We don't live in a place of fear and anxiety. But think about it again from another perspective. God knows what's going to happen in our lives. If we're trusting in God, if we're following after him, there's nothing that can happen to us that's ultimately going to harm us. You see, God has all of our lives in the palm of his hands. He's not caught by surprise by the things that happen in our life. And our lives really don't depend upon us. If it's our time to go through suffering, then we'll go through suffering. If it's our time to experience blessing, we'll go through blessing. If it's, our time, if it's our time for God to bring us home to Him, then we'll go home to Him. If it's our time to continue the work on this earth, then we'll continue doing that. 
and we do everything that we can to be wise and smart but ultimately we recognize that God's plans for our lives cannot be thwarted by the things of this earth God has us in the palm of his hand he's wrote, written the days of uh, the days of our lives Psalm 139 says this your eyes saw my unformed substance in your in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them even if disaster is to befall us we can have the assurance that we're in the palm of God's hand ladies and gentlemen let's not let worry steal our joy today Corey Ten Boom put it very succinctly when she said this worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow it empties today of its strength worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow it empties today of its strength final truth that God gives us in this passage we can't provide for ourselves like God can Jesus says look at the birds of the air they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and your, your heavenly father feeds them if you look at the screen at this picture this is a picture of a black Bernian warbler you may be able to see them sometimes here as they're migrating through this area. This little bird is about 0.34 ounces, less than the weight of two quarters. It weigh, it's about five inches long, and it travels each year over a thousand miles from the tip of, of north, uh, from the t northern part of South America up to the northeastern part of the United States and Canada where it breeds. And this bird is dependent upon a lot of different things. It's dependent upon uh, an availability of food. It goes to the highest parts of the tree in order to not experience competition with birds on the lower part. It has to follow the course of the weather. If it moves in a time when the wind is too strong, it could be catastrophic. It has to know the seasons. It has to know when to move up north to mate, when to go down south to provide food for itself. There's so many things that it's dependent upon. If it gets to its mating grounds and there's not enough food, it's going to die. If it goes down south and there's not enough food, it's going to die. If there's too much competition, it's going to die. And despite all these factors, despite the fact that human beings have uh, taken a lot of its forest away, it survived. And God provides food for even such a small animal like that. And Jesus says, are you not more valuable than these birds? Are you not more valuable than them? And if God would go to such great lengths to provide for them, even though they don't sow or reap or do anything to prepare that food, do you think that he's going to leave you high and dry in your time of need? Jesus goes on and says, Consider the lilies of the field in verse 28, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. We know that Solomon was extremely wealthy. He had a lot of resources at his disposal. And we know that he had a lot of wealth and probably a lot of clothing. Uh, some researchers, archaeologists, discovered some clothing in the city of Timnah that's believed to be 3,000 years old. One of the researchers said this about it about how they prepared this clothing. It says they took 
these plants which are actually cultivated especially for this industry and cook them in water. They added some chemicals to this mixture and then put the fleece into the water and boiled it, sometimes for several days until there was a chemical bond between the dye stuff of the plants and the wool. <coughs> this process resulted in the fibers being dyed with something that is very strong and resistant to washing because the dyes were bonded in, with the wool itself. And because of this, these bright colors were able to survive 3,000 plus years. And they believe that these, this type of clothing may have been similar to what the uh, kings of the ancient Israel wore. And you think about that and all that processing and what was state of the art back then in terms of processing this clothing and all the preparation that was involved with that. And Jesus says that is nothing compared with the flower that just shoots up out of the ground. A flower that does nothing to toil or spin. It just You just have to have the right conditions and all it does is it will pop up and be filled with that beauty that's God given. Jesus goes on to say that that grass of the field is temporary. It's beautiful, but then it dies and then it's thrown into the fire. They would often use grass uh, for a source of fuel in that day. And Jesus says if you had something that's so temporary so transient and yet God clothed it don't you think that God is going to care for you more than he cares for that little plant that's going to be thrown away in just a short time see we may worry about many things in our life today but the truth is God can care for us better than we can care for ourselves despite our best efforts it's nothing compared to the way that God can care for us. God can provide for the birds who do not sow, who do not weep, who do not work for their food. He can clothe the plants that do not toil or spin. And our worrying, our greatest effort to provide for ourselves is nothing for the, compared to the way that God provides for his children. So there's three truths. We cannot serve two masters. We cannot change the outcome. We cannot provide for ourselves like God can. Finally, we come to the admonition or the choice that Jesus gives us based upon these things. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for its day is its own trouble. Ladies and gentlemen, we only have two choices today. We can worry about a future that we cannot control or we can choose to walk with God day by day. We can choose to seek his face, to honor him with our lives. We can choose to focus on only today because the truth is God gives us the grace to handle what we're facing today. We don't know what the future holds and we can get caught into this trap of thinking, all right, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen the next day? But God will be there for us tomorrow. He'll be there for us two months from now. And no matter what the future holds, he's going to help us get through it. And so we can worry about that even though we can't control it. Or we can choose to enjoy the blessings that God has given us today. To trust in him to face the challenges that we're going to face today. And trust that he knows what we're going to face tomorrow. And trust that he'll be with us for those challenges tomorrow. Pastor Dave Stone tells a story about how his family uh, was at a swimming pool and he was down at the deep end and whose daughter, who was four years old, 
uh, didn't know how to swim, was just getting into the pool, and she had floaties on, so she couldn't sink, but she was terrified. And so she, as soon as she got to the bottom of the steps of the pool, she cried out to her father and said, Daddy, I'm scared. I want to come where you are. But her father was out in the deep end. And so her father, Dave Stone, said this, Savannah, it's a lot deeper out here. She said, I don't care. I want to be where you are. Okay, come on, he said. She began dog paddling across the pool. Three foot deep, six foot deep, nine foot deep, 12 foot deep water. Then she came to her father. She grabbed his neck. And suddenly that look of panic was no more. She was no longer afraid. Stone says next to her father she felt secure and it made very little difference how deep or how dangerous the water was. Ladies and gentlemen, the water may be deep, the waves may be high, but God is with us. And when we're walking with God, there's nothing that's too great for us. So we don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about tomorrow because we serve a God who walks with us day by day. A God who can provide for us better than we can provide for ourselves. Who will be here for us today, tomorrow, and forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your love for us. We thank you that we can trust in you. Even in the midst of the deepest waters that we might experience, it doesn't matter how deep the waters are. All that matters is that we're with you that you have our lives in your hand. Lord, I pray that we'd be single-minded, that we'd focus on you, that we wouldn't have any other masters, Lord. I pray that we would trust that you do provide for us, that you're with us, that there's nothing that we can't accomplish through you. Lord, give us your grace. Give us your peace. For those who are experiencing anxiety today, Lord, we know that this is sometimes easier said than done. We pray that you'd relieve that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that our hearts would be focused on you and your love and your grace and your provision. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, at this time we're going to continue in worship with one last song.